This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Good to be with you. This is Larry Alex Taunton. Welcome to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. It's uh, great to be back in studio. I am sitting here with uh, producer Matt enjoying some coffee and donuts. In fact, I had a donut that was sitting right here just a minute ago. And as viewers of this show will know, the combination of coffee and donuts, that is sugar, generally gets me going um, in the morning. And so you can be you can be looking forward to a, a sugar fueled uh, a show today. I have been abroad. Uh, you have to be careful how you say that these days because that could be taken to mean some kind of transgender thing. I have been overseas for the last three months. I was in seven countries. I was in Europe, seven European countries, uh, three months, and I was there to cover a variety of topics, um, some of which we'll touch on in the show today. But I went initially to cover the world Economic Forum. I also spent a little bit of time. So that's in Switzerland, in Davos, Switzerland. Um, I was in Italy, uh, of course, the Vatican, um, Romania, Poland, to take a look at the uh, the uh, Ukraine war refugee situation there. Um, France, Spain, I was all over the place. And we're going to touch on some of the issues that I got into on this particular trip. But I want to start today actually with maybe what might seem to be the conclusion of a show like that, like this. And that is probably the most common question that I'm asked these days. I'll write an article, do a interview, um, do a podcast like this. And people will ask me, uh, what can we do? You know, you've given us all this information, uh, useful information, but what can we do? So I want to talk on the front end in the intro- introduction of this show today about what you can do. And it's it just remember the single word, engage. Begin, en- begin engaging the culture. You will meet people that I will never meet. You will talk to people that I will never meet. Uh, you don't have to have a big platform. You don't have to be an Instagram influencer. You don't need to have a big following on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, in fact, honestly, if I didn't do what I do for a living, I wouldn't be on any of those platforms. I, I uh, will admit that I hate uh, social media. But uh, you have loads of opportunities to just engage people over the, the backyard fence, at the water cooler, at the lunch table, um, at church. Um, un- unfortunately, these days, we, we have to be prepared to evangelize to engage um, in our churches, uh, picking up the kids at school, um, whatever the opportunity looks like for you, begin to engage. And let me give you let me give you some some general principles for how to do that. Now this is coming from someone uh, who has debated some of the most famous intellectuals uh, in the world and uh, I uh, you know people who are known as Molotov cocktail, tossing atheists uh, and the like. And, um, uh, you know, there's a simple method that I use when, when talking to people, and it's something that I call the, the teapot 
principle. That's just my name. I just visualize a teapot. And in, in an era where people are conditioned, you know, it's this kind of Pavlovian, you remember Pavlov, you know, you ring the bell and the dog begins to salivate. These days, uh, the bell is bringing up the kind of topics that are in the news daily. It's bringing up uh, it's bringing up the Trump indictment. It's bringing up Trump. It's bringing up Christianity. Uh, it's bringing up, um, you know, Joe Biden. It's bringing up um, uh, Black Lives Matter or Antifa or riots or public education, any of those things. That's the bell. And the salivating uh, in this case isn't salivating. Well, I guess it is. Maybe people start foaming at the mouth, but people begin to get very emotional. Uh, They've been conditioned to react rather than to think logically. And my teapot principle is simply this. I I envision a teapot in my head, and the conversation, as I sense that it's heating up and it's about to whistle, I take it off the stove. And, uh, and then I, I change the subject. I bring up something, you know, how about them Dodgers? Hey, did you see that movie last night? Um, you know, hey, how are the kids doing? Tell me a little bit about your work. I take the opportunity to change the subject and to bring up something that's uh, not so quite controversial, uh, to, to engage at a very friendly level. And then when I think there's an opportunity to re-engage, I put the pot back on the stove and I begin to hammer away on that subject again. But you you know, conversations are intuitive. And for the Christian, I think often our intuition is really just the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I, I, uh, I think we have to be very, very sensitive to that. And when I sense a conversation, a very wise man gave me this advice probably when I was about 15, and I've never forgotten it. Uh, he said, Larry, whenever I sense that a conversation is moving towards spiritual things, and that's where we want to take the conversation ultimately, you know, just converting someone from being pro-abortion to, um, to pro-life doesn't get them, you know, into heaven. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be plenty of uh, pro-life people or Republicans um, in, in hell, um, we want to get people closer to the cross. And that doesn't mean those other issues don't matter. They do. And that might be a means of getting someone closer to the cross. But never lose sight of what your objective really is. And um, so I seek to engage people at a friendly level um, whenever I can. Not every conversation can be that. There are occasions, by the way, where you need to stomp people. We do we do have that um, model in Scripture. I mean, when when David, you know, stepped onto the field of battle, he wasn't out there to convert Goliath. Um, he had a very very different um, agenda there. When the Apostle Paul turned on Simon the sorcerer, it wasn't about conversion. Um, so there are there are occasions where you know we're not so gentle. Uh, Jesus did turn over some tables, but. Whenever we get the opportunity to, that we we want to be general, uh, gentle. Uh, Peter has given us that as a as a general principle. It's not an absolute rule, but engaging with gentleness and respect is something that we we want to do. And you have to understand again that those conversations are intuitive. And if you sense that you're talking to someone who is reasonable, someone with whom you can reason, 
that's a good thing. And, uh, and try to engage with them on, on that level. And also just don't be a jerk. Understand that, that you know, to have the attitude that only the person you're talking to is affected by propaganda and you aren't is arrogant. I mean, we're all influenced by media. We are all influenced by Hollywood movies and music and the things we just see. You can't insulate yourself from them. You just simply can't. You, you can't go and, I mean, unless you're going to go live in a desert uh, alone, you're not going to escape them. And even then, you're going to take your sin nature with you. So endeavor to engage with people in that way, understanding that the goal is to get them closer to the cross. And I'm always hoping, uh, I, I want to have humility in a conversation to recognize that I might be wrong on a given topic. People will sense that when they sense some humility on your part, because you see, I think of it as iron sharpening iron. If my argument is a poor argument, uh, if what I'm believing is false, I want someone to punch holes in that. I don't want to go around spouting things that aren't true. So I give them the opportunity uh, to do that. But you need to be prepared for conversational turbulence uh, in these times. If you think that every conversation you're going to have with people isn't going to be infused with emotion, uh, that's just not going to happen. And when you get bruised, and you will, that's okay. Um, just dust yourself off and, uh, and go on to the next conversation. When somebody, somebody mistreats you, that's okay. Uh, but you want to be able to, uh, to evaluate um, whether or not uh, you were the person you know, who caused that. But I always want to drive a conversation towards the cross, towards truth. So I really strongly encourage you to engage your friends and neighbors um, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the World Economic Forum uh, in Davos, their annual meeting in Davos, which is where I was in January. And I want to tell you a little bit about what goes on at these meetings and what it is that these people believe, what it is that they hope to achieve globally. And I promise you, they have a major agenda. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Larry is my favorite player. Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Larry Alex Taunton. And, um, you know, I just mentioned in the, the show opening that I have been in Europe for the last three months, uh, seven countries. And let's start it with the beginning um, of that trip. Uh, by the way, uh, my uh, just to give you a little bit of the philosophy that drives my work, uh, most people in my line of work, that is to say writers, cultural commentators, they um, pontificate from, let's say, Atlanta, D.C., or New York, and um, from the comfort of, of some office, and they simply see the news and they react to it. Uh, which isn't always um, a bad method, but I, I think if it's the only thing you do, it's a, a very bad method because part of what I think is our major problem in this country right now is the fact that you're dealing with a lot of people. Let's say take somebody like uh, AOC. I don't know if you saw this, but Alexandra, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, turns out she's been using a burner account uh, on... Uh, did you see this? 
Did you see this? Yeah, she's been using a, a burner account on Twitter. Now, a burner account can be fun. Lots of people use them for, you know, loads of, uh, of, of reasons. But she's been using it to attack other people under a false identity. That's what we mean. In other words, she has her official um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez account. But then she has another one here that's called something like Zaza Demon. Demon. I mean... You, she owned it, didn't she? Um, and she was attacking Matt Walsh. And in this, she basically was telling him she hoped he got killed by a trans activist, you know, because he's taken a very strong stand. He's with Daily Wire. He's taken a very strong stand against, um, you know, the transing of uh, adolescents. And uh, I applaud him for that and support him in that. We've been we've been hitting that topic pretty hard. And so Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, rather than doing it through her official account, she went to her Zaza Demon account where she began to attack him and then suggest she hoped he got assassinated. Now, I've received those kinds of those kinds of threats uh, and they're almost always anonymous as was the case here. But you know, I think that one of the problems here is someone like an Alexandra Carcio Cortez, and she might be a she might be an extreme example here. Maybe, maybe not the best example using AOC, but you know, I wonder how much time she's ever spent in a red state. I mean, I wonder if she were to meet Matt Walsh's family, would she think these are all evil people? I, I if she's reasonable, she would have to conclude that they are not. Um, I th think it's interesting that so many years ago, uh, my friend, the late atheist journalist, Christopher Hitchens, um, began, you know, with me making swings through red states. You know, this is recorded in my book, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, you know, named, I'm glad to say, uh, Book of the Year. And uh, I think Christopher decided that everything that he had been told about, quote unquote, flyover country um, about this vast uh, empty space in between say New York and LA that there were actually some very nice and sensible people there and he decided he liked them and he wanted to in some sense champion them this is the, this is the kind of political social I don't think religious but a political and social conversion that Christopher was undergoing when he uh, when he died of, of cancer and uh, my point being that the kind of work that I do, I endeavor to not just simply uh, caricature uh, the left. I've spent a fair amount of time in New York. I've spent a fair amount of time in Chicago. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm getting over. I think I have the China virus. Don't worry, people. You can't get it. You can't get it through the. Uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. But uh, I've spent a fair amount of time in New York, uh, Los Angeles, Chicago, Rome, London, uh, Moscow, uh, Paris, Barcelona. The point being that I endeavor to understand the people that I'm writing about. I've I endeavor to understand something of their worldview. I endeavor to understand something of the issues that I'm addressing. When you hear me talking about Ukraine, it's because I've been in Ukraine no less than seven times. I know something about what life is like there. My wife and I adopted a child from Ukraine. 
many years ago, I wrote a book about Ukraine and its history, The Grace Effect. Many of you have read that particular book. So when I'm talking about that, I know something about it. When I'm talking about the Ukrainian war refugees, it's because I know something about them. And when I'm talking about the World Economic Forum, it isn't just because I'm sitting in D.C. or New York or Atlanta um, pontificating about it. It's because I was at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. So the point being, it's it's important. Yeah, you're not, you know, and unless you're a writer, you don't have to live that kind of life. But at least you should on the micro level. You know, we were just talking in the in the previous segment about the importance of engaging your neighbors, um, sharing with them the truth, sharing with them the gospel. To the extent that you can, try to understand their perspective. Try to put yourself in their position so that you can understand what it is that they're feeling, um, what the questions are that they really have. Sometimes we can be very dismissive when we shouldn't be. There is a time to be dismissive, but it isn't all the time. And, uh, and if you're able to do that, you're, you're going to be better equipped to address the questions that they have, and you're going to be better equipped to discuss the issues at hand. So in this case, the World Economic Forum, <clears throat> which meets annually in Davos, and I have to tell you this, this is, this is, <laughs> this is interesting. Davos is in the Alps, high in the Alps. It's an alpine ski resort. You, it's, it's what you would find throughout the Alps. Uh, there are similar ski resorts, ski towns that you would find in, say, the Pyrenees. They're, they're, they, they, they dot um, the Pyrenees and the Alps and the Rockies, you know, for, for that matter. But more so in Europe. There are, there are a lot more of them in Europe. And Davos is one of them. So it's a very, a very small town. I think it has a population of maybe... 10,000, uh, 15 tops. It's a, it's, a, it's a very small place. So for someone like me to get there isn't easy. It's, it's not an easy place to get to um, because it has a private uh, airfield. Now, if you're Bill Gates and you're going, it's very simple. You board your private jet and you fly into the private airport. Let me tell you what they did. Now, these are the people who lecture you who lecture me about carbon, uh, uh, your carbon footprint. They tell you, you need to be in a smart car. They tell you, okay, so uh, producer Matt has looked it up for me. Yes, the, uh, the population is about 11,000. So it's a small town. So they're there lecturing all of us on how we need to eat bugs. They do say this. We need to no longer eat beef. They tell us that we need to reduce our carbon footprint. You, and I'll get to this in a moment, you're the carbon they want to reduce, by the way. And um, they tell us that we shouldn't be driving gasoline engine cars. They, uh, uh, so what did they do? They flew into Davos, into the ski town, into their, uh, with, with their private jets. But they couldn't be bothered to then get into their, their big Mercedes or big BMWs or big Audis. I'm not talking about the starter version you know, for the kids. I'm talking about the big ones with the big engines, the big gasoline-driven engines. They couldn't be bothered to get into those at the airport and then go to Davos. No, what they did was they took helicopters, helicopters from the airport to Davos where they then transferred. And I took photos. You'll find these on my, on my website and on my Twitter account. It's Larry Taunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N, at Larry Taunton is 
my Twitter handle, and uh, I'm posting stuff there daily, articles basically of what they call threads. And um, so this is this is uh, what they are doing. So they're flying these um, these helicopters into the into the city, and then I, I snap some photos of these motorcades of these huge, all of them black, by the way. You know, they 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 look very governmental. In some cases, they are. They're not all governmental. There were 50 heads of state that were there. There were um, 115 billionaires, more than 600 CEOs of major corporations, and then 2,700 people, other people who were there, people like me who were there to attend the forum, uh, to attend the, um, the various uh, sessions there. Now, 70% of the forum's presentations you can find online. In other words, the guy who wants to pontificate from New York, he can do it because 70% of the sessions are online. And so a lot of the media who were there, that's what they were doing is they were in sessions listening to someone like, say, John Kerry um, or Klaus Schwab or you know some other uh, figure speaking. That isn't what I did because I knew those were going to be the headlines that you were going to get. Anyway, you didn't need me to cover that for you. Instead, what I did was this. Uh, Eric Metaxas <laughs> says that I'm a spy. <laughs> but what I did was I went, you know, Davos is so small that there really isn't, um, there's really not much by way of coffee shops or restaurants. So I went into uh, one of their few coffee shops, which has, I think there were four tables, maybe only three. And each one had, say, three tables around it. They're quite small. No tables the size of this lovely table where I sit at the moment. They're all fairly small. And I made sure to sit there and not move. And during the breaks in the uh, the forum presentations, people would you know pile into this coffee shop and you have three or four tables, and you have maybe 50 people looking for a seat. So inevitably, someone would say, excuse me, can I, can I sit at your table? And I would say, well, yes, sure. Join me. Please sit down. Now, this relates to our show opening. You're talking about how do I engage? How do I talk to people? People love to talk about themselves. So if you're, if you're nervous, I tell my wife this all the time. My wife isn't shy. My wife is reserved. Lori's quite reserved. And if we're at big, some big soiree, I always tell her, just ask people questions about themselves. You'll have to say almost nothing if you ask them what they do or about their family or the important people love to tell you about themselves. And at a place like Davos, they love to tell you why they're important. They, they just can't resist telling you why they're important. So all I did was just sit there pretending to be another WEFR. And by the way, that's what they say. They don't say World Economic Forum or WEF. They say WEF. <laughs> that, that, that F, you know, feels like it's dragged out. Um, the WEF. They'll say, so why are you here at the WEF? Um, are you uh, a WEF member? Um, you know, this kind of thing. So if you want to really sound like you're in the know, say WEF. And I'll say WEF throughout the rest of this show. So as I'm sitting there, these people join me. And I just ask questions. So tell me about yourself. And they all want to tell you their significance with, with whom they're associated there. So, you know, one woman tells me that she's a translator for a head of state. And she's, 
you know, she, she just can't wait to tell me that. And then there's someone else who, uh, who tells me that they're in charge of this head of state's um, bodyguards. And, um, but, the, but some of the more interesting conversations I had went something like this. And I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to reveal who the individuals were with whom I was, I was talking. And, and by the way, here's this, this cracks me up because most of these people, and I, I don't want to say that they're all like this, but most of them um, are, um, they're really a bit full of themselves. And the result is that they never ask you anything about, about yourself. They never do. So it was easy for me. And by the way, I have a, I have a very stock answer. You know, if I say, if I say that I'm a writer, then people get nervous. If I say I'm an author in this kind of setting, they get nervous, you know, wondering what I might be doing there. So I just say I'm the head of a nonprofit that no one ever asks you any more questions after you say you're the head of a nonprofit. And that's true at Fixed Point Foundation. I am the executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation, which is a nonprofit. But that sounds so bland, so boring. No one ever follows up. They're like, oh, you know, so, so, uh, but I never had to use it because no one asked because they want to talk about themselves. A couple of the conversations that were particularly fascinating. The first was with a guy that I will characterize as sort of a higher up. You see, some of the people who are at the World Economic Forum, they are there to sell stuff to other attendees, particularly heads of state. So they are there to push a product. And uh, they're, you know, they're Mr. Networker guy. We've, we've all met Mr. Networker guy. He's ready to give you his business card. He's, he's ready to tell you about the product that he's there selling. And uh, then there, there are other people there who are presenters. Uh, in addition to the major sessions, you also have smaller breakout sessions that um, are going on at the same time. These are that fall into that 30% category. You know, I said 70% of, of the WEF is online. This is the 30% category that isn't online. Uh, but I would argue as every bit as important, maybe more important, because these aren't the marquee names, but they're, they're marquee influencers in a, in a kind of sinister way. So one guy that I'm talking to who, you know, probably my age, he's, he's, he's probably in his 50s, he is telling me um, about the WEF, and he's using all the language of the WEF. I, I think this year the theme was, oh gosh, it's always it always sounds very you know innocuous and friendly. It's something like um, finding finding uh, unity in a broken world. You know, it's something it's something like that. And uh, so it sounds innocuous. It sounds positive. It it sounds like these are people who are out to change the world for good. And in some cases, they really do believe that's what they're doing. That's what makes them frightening. C.S. Lewis said that that the worst kind of tyranny is that tyranny which is exercised for your own good. And it's because those people tyrannize you with a clear conscience. They're of the view that what they're doing doing to you is the right thing to do. And uh, here we have it. This year it was called, uh, the theme was cooperation in a fragmented world. I mean, wh what sounds uh, um, more harmless than that? But as I'm talking to this guy, uh, and again, I'm referring to the higher ups, you know, there are, there are young people there and those people are full of, of idealism and they're being used, they're being weaponized 
by the WEF, but I'll get to them in just a moment. Uh, the higher-ups don't really believe that language. They know better. Uh, they're more jaded by the world. Um, they're more realistic. Um, most of them are exceptionally wealthy. They've traveled extensively. They're not stupid. And uh, so I'm talking to this guy, and he begins by using, you know, all the language of the WEF as he, you know, would expect. He's, he, he's supposed to. Everyone's expected to, to talk like that. So I decided to push back at him just a little bit. And I said, well, allow me to play devil's advocate for just a moment. Um, what do you think of the WEF's goal of reducing global population? He has this very smug look um, on his face as he begins to explain to me like he's explaining to a child. I, I could almost feel him reaching across the table and patting me uh, on the head as he explained um, the problems with population. Now, this all sounded very impersonal. It was like we were talking batting averages. Uh, it was We were just talking statistics. And here he is saying that, well, you, you have to understand, you know, the, the earth is exceeding its carrying capacity and um, there needs to be uh, some sort of joint resolution. We must come to agreement about how we go about reducing the global population. It's for the betterment of humanity, all couched in this kind of terms. But at the end of the day, of course, what he's really talking about is killing people. He never used that language. He didn't, he didn't use the word abortion. Um, he spoke of it, again, as though we were sitting and talking about batting averages. This is the way, again, this is the way the left has always been. I recall uh, uh, William L. Shire's uh, book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, in which he talks about the various interrogations of... Um, those people who were at the Vonzi conference where the final solution, Vonzi is just outside of um, Berlin. I guess now it's very much a part of Berlin, uh, but at the time it was uh, semi-rural. And uh, the Vonzi conference that was held there in, uh, I think, 1941. And the decision was made um, to uh, eliminate uh, the Jews of Europe. And the language they used, you know, just sounded as harmless as can be. We're about to take a break. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about the World Economic Forum. This show, this ministry is supported by viewers like you. And if you appreciate my work, if you think that what we do at Fixed Point Foundation, if you think that what we do on the Larry Alex Taunton Show is helpful to you, please help us. You can uh, make a fully tax-deductible contribution and help us pay for all that it takes, pay for Matt's salary and pay for me being here and for the production of this show. Thank you very much for your viewership and for watching. Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Larry Alex Taunton. And I, in, before we went to break, we we're talking about the World Economic Forum, the WEF. To get that, the WEF, as they say. That's how the insiders all say it. And I was talking about a conversation with, uh, you know, one of the older attendees at the World Economic Forum. They are not idealistic. They don't buy into a lot of the rhetoric. They know better. But here's this gentleman telling me the, about the need to reduce 
the global population. Now, I want to be clear, you know, as Metaxas said, it's like I'm a spy there. They think I'm a weffer as well. I never, I never revealed who I was and what I was really doing. I'm just sitting and listening to their conversation. But, um, yeah, here he is telling me, and um, as though again we're we're sitting and uh, we're we're talking sports, we're talking batting averages, and he's using statistics to explain why more people on the earth need to dis excuse me disappear die, he, but he just didn't use that kind of language. Uh, William L. Shire, you know, says the same thing about the uh, the Vonzi conference about. Um, I have read, by the way, uh, um, the interrogations of some of the major Nazi war criminals, um, Rudolf Hess, who was uh, not to be confused with Hitler's associate, but the head of the uh, um, Auschwitz concentration camp. When you read what he has to say, it's, it's interesting. Unless the interrogator really puts the thumbscrews to him, they didn't literally use thumbscrews. I want to be clear. It's not Abu Ghraib. They didn't do that. They, uh, uh, when they really put pressure on him, then they could get him to speak more clearly. But for the most part, he was just talking in, in, in language that was impersonal. It, it didn't involve, it didn't sound like, you know, the killing of people. But of course, that's what he was talking about, was the extermination of European Jews and gypsies and Slavs and Christians and so forth. So it is when you're talking to the World Economic Forum. Now, if, you're, if you think that I'm making this up, if you think that this, this is all stuff that is some sort of conspiracy theory, I would simply say to you, go to YouTube and look up Dr. Dennis Meadows. Now, I've posted this on my Twitter page many times. You can find his full talks online, but the one you're looking for is one where he's seated. He's not standing in front of a lectern. He's seated. And it's about a two-minute and 13-second clip. You know, it's something like that. If you, you can find the full interview. I'm so grateful for the people who interviewed him because all they did was ask him a question and then sit back and let him speak. They just let him speak. And the guy says the most outrageous things. And he's intelligent, looks like a guy that you would probably could enjoy having a nice cup of coffee with, uh, civilized. And yet he's saying we need to reduce the global population from 8 billion, roughly, to less than 2 billion. So we only need to get rid of about 6 billion people. Now, I want to say that on the other end of this, if you uh, pay attention to Elon Musk at all, Elon Musk is going absolutely the opposite direction. Musk is saying we're looking at a global population collapse. That all of the Earth's population would fit inside New York City. You know, it's something like that. It's like if they're in so many stories of buildings, they would, they would fit inside a, a fairly small space. Let's just say the whole state of New York. But the point being that they're wrong. But this is the push that's being made. And I talk about this also. You can find a series of articles that I've written about the World Economic Forum um, on my website at LarryAlexTaunton.com. That's LarryAlexTaunton, T-A-U-N-T-O-N.com. And uh, look for a series that I've called The Great Jet Set. The Great Jet Set. It's a four-part series that I wrote for The Daily Wire 
Um, and after it had been over there for a little while, I've republished it on my own website because it's behind, it's behind a paywall over there. So you don't have to go and subscribe in order to get it. Don't tell anybody I told you that. But you can go get it on my own website, The Great Jet Set. It, it, it's a four-part series about so um, what a, a bit of data that I've put up here. Whole population, uh, the Earth's population would fit in Texas in single-family homes. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a great exaggeration here. But, the, of course, these are individuals who are not volunteering themselves. You see, just as they think they're an exception on the carbon footprint issue, they can fly their jets, they can fly their helicopters, they can do whatever they want to. Bill Gates basically said that in an interview fairly recently. They don't think you should be able to do that. And when they're talking about reducing the, the global population, they don't mean themselves. They mean you. They want, to, they want you to die. They, they want to reduce. You are the carbon they want to reduce. So this is, this is the reality. So I'm sitting and talking with this guy, and it's a creepy conversation as he is explaining to me, like he's talking to a child, why we need to reduce the Earth's global population. Now, it was hard for me if I was to maintain my spy status at Davos not to push back, but I thought it'd be it'd be too revelatory of my own thinking if I were to say much. Instead, I just sat there and I listened and thoughtfully and, you know, gave the occasional grunt. Mhm, yes, interesting. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum and talking about talk about youth. Because there are a lot of youth there. And this is the kind of thing that you would not know if you didn't go to the World Economic Forum. So again, while, um, while every news agency that, that I know of, they um, you know, were focused on the, the big plenary sessions at the World Economic Forum, the stuff you can just watch online or you can watch later. That isn't what I did. I just I was milling about among the 2,700 attendees. Wasn't hanging with the billionaires. I wasn't hanging with the heads of state. That's the stuff you're all going to get from the news. I instead was mixing among those 2,700 um, attendees. Just I wanted to know, who are the kind of people who come to something like this? And what I discovered is, is they have something they call the Y, excuse me, the W-E-Y-F. It's the World Economic Youth Forum. Now, I don't know how they spit that one out. Wave, weave. I, I don't know that that one rolls off the WEF you can do. I, uh, way of, uh, is, 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 is maybe the way they do that one. But they have the World Economic Youth Forum. And these, unlike the guy that I was just describing to you, who is a little jaded by the word, he's not, he's not carrying around the the WEF swag. He doesn't have the WEF backpack or the WEF briefcase or the WEF t-shirt or the WEF hat. Those people aren't doing any of that. It's the youth who are doing it. And in some cases, some very idealistic say, like I, I bumped into a young woman who was from Atlanta and, um, you know, she's, she's got some of that stuff, you know, going on. And, uh, She's, uh, you know, extremely idealistic and, and, in my opinion, you know, needs to get out a little bit more. By the way, attendance to the World Economic Forum, like the full thing, is $52,000. That's another reason, by the way, <laughs> that I did not attend the plenary sessions. 
$52,000. I don't know. Maybe they'd have given me a, a, a media badge, but I doubt it very seriously because they would very quickly identify. Um, I mean, I'm quite Googleable. Uh, they, as, as one young woman said to me, Oh, you're Googleable. Um, and not favorably, by the way, uh, Google, Google does not like me. So they make sure that every return you get is, uh, is not a positive one. You have to go for several pages, <coughs> but anyway, it's not cheap, but I was, as somebody whose work has focused a lot with young people. In fact, I told Lori, you know, we were watching the, um, the championship game, you know, the final four, the NCAA tournament. And it dawned on me, I'd forgotten this. Um, you know, I told you I've had a, a pretty severe bump on the head. So sometimes I, I forget things, but it dawned on me as I'm watching UConn win the championship. I recall speaking at UConn, um, some years ago and, uh, engaging with the young people at that university. The World Economic Forum is producing an army of Greta Thunbergs. That's their goal. In every single um, area of life, they are radicalizing youth. And in case you, you don't really know much about Marxism and Marxist tactics, young people have always been used as the shock troops. They're just cannon fodder. They, they don't care about these people. They want them to disrupt. They want them to agitate. They want them to cause problems. They're the people that are idealistic, that are blocking roads in, uh, in say, France or in Britain, you know, who are sitting and uh, arms linked and saying, we're not going to let the cars by until there's, uh, you know, um, some kind of legislation is passed or until we get what we want. <clears throat> They're the individuals. They're the individuals, by the way, in, in New York who are, who are paid agitators who are outside of um, the, the courthouse in New York as Trump is being indicted. They're the individuals uh, who are, are, some of them are paid agitators who on January 6th were mixed among the crowd. But the people at the, the young people at the World Economic Forum, the World Economic Youth Forum members, Honestly, I felt sorry for them, and I, I did because they don't realize they're being used. You know, you see them walking around. I, I saw a couple of hats that said, global citizen. There is no more ridiculous phrase than that. That's the kind of thing you can wear at Davos and maybe in France and maybe in Germany and maybe in Britain, in, in, in the Western world and get away with it, maybe even get a, a, a pat on the back. Try wearing that in Saudi Arabia. Try wearing that in Nigeria, uh, anywhere Africa. Try wearing that in Vietnam. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. None, not at all. I mean, uh, uh, the jihadis will be laughing as they're stringing you up, you know, by your ankles. Global citizen, there, there is no such thing. But this, of course, is part of their objective to create that. So they're wearing all this swag, and they're completely bought in to the ideology that's being sold to them. And it's in... It's not just simply an anti-American or anti-Western philosophy. It's an anti-human philosophy because the language they use isn't typically for the good of humanity. Do you know what it is? It's for the good of the planet. It's for the good of the planet. And that's dangerous language if you, if you, if you think about that. It, it's it's self-revelatory. It, it indicates to you what they think about humanity. And that is not much because they've taken um, a, a Darwinian worldview 
all the way, an atheistic worldview, all the way to its logical conclusion. You see, as we as Christians believe that man is an object of special creation. He's set apart. He has a soul. He's made in the image of God. We are all image bearers. But see, once you suppress, as Romans 1 says, once you suppress the knowledge of God, once you suppress the truth of God, you eventually pervert the truth and you pervert life itself. I'm mindful of something that Thomas Aquinas said, and I'm paraphrasing him here. And uh, that is this, that God, God made angels all spirit, no flesh. He made animals all flesh, no spirit. He made man a composite of both flesh and spirit. And so the result is that man can either, he has a choice, he can ascend to the higher, that is to say to the spiritual, or he can descend to the lower, which is the animal. And that's the direction we're going right now. We're going in the direction of the animal, of the beast. That's the direction we're going. We're seeing it uh, in the breakdown of civilization throughout the Western world, as people are throwing off civility, as they're throwing off their own humanity, and I mean quite literally, when you have when you have children being taught to rebel against the way that God created them, and to embrace instead the view that they are whatever they want to be. If you're a if you're a a male, you can throw that off and say, no, I'm a female. And, and everyone else is expected to embrace your fantasy. Um, or if you're a biological female, you can throw that off and say, no, I'm a man. And everyone, again, is expected to embrace, to enter into, and to support your delusions. This is a rebellion against creation. It's a rebellion against God. I was talking to a, um, an Irish school teacher when I was in Rome, sitting next to me at a table in a restaurant, and she was telling me that she has a little boy in her classroom in Belfast, or maybe it was Dublin, regardless, in Ireland, um, that self-identifies as a wolf. And she, as a teacher, is not allowed to tell him he's not a wolf. How broken is our educational system? How broken are we as a people when you're not allowed to tell people the truth anymore. Um, that's another topic for another day. But if you're if your children are in government schools, um, please, please, please get them out. Your children are being radicalized against you, even in, in in some of the best case scenarios. Maybe they're not doing that nonsense, but still, their education is coming from a godless point of view. Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If that is not the basic assumption of the educational system that your children are in, get them out. Get them out. Your children will be radicalized against you. Anyway, when we're talking the World Economic Forum, these we're, we're now in, in sort of post-Christian thought. We've been beating this drum for quite a while. Those of you who have followed my work for more than a decade... Um, we'll know that we entered into, we were among the first, maybe the first, to take on the major atheists, what was then called the New Atheism, which hit the scene roughly about 2005, 2006, with a series of bestsellers from the so-called um, Four Horsemen of the Counter-Apocalypse, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, and Daniel Dennett. I've debated 
uh, publicly or privately, three of that group. Um, I never have Sam Harris. He he would not engage in in debate. John Lennox, Lennox may have debated all four of them. I'm not sure. I, I have to think about Harris because I know that we tried Harris and, and uh, Harris wouldn't do it, but maybe he later relented in, in some other venue. But um, I debated, um, you can find this on our, our YouTube page. In fact, Matt was just pointing out to me that it's the, actually the, the very first video that comes up, my debate with Christopher Hitchens, public debate in Billings, Montana. Uh, I debated Daniel Dennett uh, on Al Jazeera in a global audience of about 270 million people, along with, by the way, they added a Muslim cleric at the last second. Dan and I thought that was a little odd. We were both told we're coming to debate each other. And then the last thing they said, oh, by the way, we have a Muslim cleric who'd like to join the debate. And we thought, this is a setup. This is a setup. Almost sounds, by the way, like a joke. A Christian, an atheist, and a Muslim walk into Al Jazeera in New York. I mean, that sounds like the setup for a, uh, a joke. And Richard Dawkins, I uh, have engaged many times privately um, uh, to this very day. Um, Dawkins, by the way, has been saying a lot of things publicly as of late that I very much appreciate, one of which has been that you cannot rebel against your, your, um, your, your biological sex. You are what you are. I appreciate him saying that. But the fact is that the World Economic Forum just assumes that there is no God. This is the way they roll. It's just as assumed there is no God, and so might makes right. Um, these individuals who are running the World Economic Forum, like Klaus Schwab and these heads of state and these CEOs and these billionaires, they see themselves as masters of the universe who can more or less do whatever they want. They're individuals like Bill Gates. And that alone is interesting, but the the youth at the World Economic Forum, it distresses me to see so many young people who have bought into this nonsense and who don't realize, you know, Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. You know, when we were raising our children, our all, all our, our children are now grown, all four of them. But that imagery stuck in my mind is that I am sharpening them like arrows. And one day I pull them from the quiver and I aim them, we aim them at a wicked world and we send them into that world to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And I'm so proud to say that all of them, they're, they're all sinners. They're all, they're all fallen. They're flawed people, but they are, they are also wonderful people who are doing great things for the kingdom. I'm proud of all of them. They stand firm in their faith. But you see, the opposite is also true. There are those individuals who are sharpening children like arrows in the hands of a warrior for a wicked cause. And they aim the Greta Thunbergs at the world and they fire them off into the world in order to spread nonsense, propaganda, um, earth worship. And that, by the way, brings us back to Romans chapter 1, because Romans 1 says that part of the suppression of truth, part of the perversion of truth, is the worship of nature. They begin worshiping birds and animals and creeping things. This is what Romans 1 tells us. This is all very true. We're about to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of the World Economic Forum. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. This is The Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back to The Larry Alex Taunton Show. You know, we're talking pretty heavy stuff, but I want to I I say something for fun here. This back here, this right here, is... I, I am a hat guy. I don't know how many of you 
how many of you are, are hat people, but this, this was one of my favorite hats. I bought this hat in France. It's not particularly, not particularly expensive. This is what's called a, uh, this is what's called a Panama hat. And I loved this hat. And I wore this hat in, I think, about 40 countries. And I even took pictures of it before I left on that particular journey. That was for writing the book, you know, which I have sitting over here, around the world in more than 80 days. And uh, <clears throat> I just my whole life, I've just been... In fact, my mom says that one of my favorite books as a, as a small child was Old Hat, New Hat, you know, <laughs> Dr. Seuss. So... Uh, this out here, it has holes in it. You know, it's like I had got arrows in it in Africa, you know, or, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and now I just keep it for sentimental value. So when I was in France, excuse me, when I was in Italy, when I was in Rome, I bought a new one. This is a new Panama. And uh, this is a Borsellino. Now, Borsellino, this is a much more expensive hat than, uh, than that one. Borsellinos are, they're just wonderful wonderful Italian hats. And so I bought another one, you know, while I was there to replace my others. But I'm like Imelda Marcos. You know, Imelda Marcos was famous for her shoes. I am the Imelda Marcos of hats. I am the Imelda Marcos of hats. But see, the problem with these is you would think, well, look at that. It barely hit, fits me anymore. And you say, what, did my head grow? Well, maybe. But it's because your sweat causes a straw hat to you know, um, contract, you know, it gets much smaller. So you have to have a hat stretcher, which while it's wet, when you take it off and you really don't want to get a, um, a Panama hat wet, they're not, they're not good for, they don't respond well to rain, but I mean, you're going to be sweaty. And, um, so you got to put the hat stretcher in there and you have to stretch it back out and let it dry because otherwise when you put it on, it's going to sit on your head just the way that one did. But here is my, here's my latest. And I love this hat, this, uh, this, uh, this, this new Borsellino here. Um, anyway, so moving on from Borsellinos to the World Economic Forum. And I prefer, honestly, to be talking about Borsellinos than the World Economic Forum because the Weffers are crazy. And by this, I mean not necessarily clinically nuts. Rather, I mean that what we're seeing, part of what we're seeing taking place in the world, ladies and gentlemen, it is. I keep making reference to Romans chapter 1. I've written an article on my website on Romans chapter 1. In fact, we, uh, we did a podcast. We did a whole show on Romans chapter 1, which you can, which you can find um, on YouTube and on Rumble. And, you know, we always have stuff over on Rumble. Just so you know, Rumble is... Uh, there, you won't see that there's hardly any views on anything over on Rumble. But the reason we do that is we're always housing things over on Rumble for when we get kicked off of YouTube, because we're pretty sure that that will eventually happen. You know, um, it has certainly happened to others. There's no reason for us to think that it won't eventually happen to us. So we're always staging it in two areas. But most of our views, you know, probably are coming over on YouTube, um, not including TV. Uh, the broadcast on NRB TV, you know, has a, has a very nice viewership. So maybe the primary viewership is there. I don't know. I don't really count it, and I don't. I don't look at the analytics. I don't worry too much um, about that. But suffice it to say that these are individuals that are crazy in the Romans one sense, meaning that once you suppress the knowledge of God, once you suppress the truth, you will begin to embrace all kinds of craziness. You will come to the conclusion um, that those things that are unnatural can be natural. 
Um, so that is, uh, that is to say, um, you'll come to the conclusion that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. You'll come to the conclusion that parents aren't important. You'll come to the conclusion that there is no absolute truth. You'll come to the conclusion that human beings have no ultimate value. You will come to the conclusion there is no life after death. You will embrace the absurd and that is where we are, where you're looking at headlines that you think, am I looking at the Babylon Bee? Is this the onion? I mean, where you're looking at things that are so absurd, that are so nuts. And that's, that's where we are. So here, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're talking about the World Economic Forum. I just want you to understand that these are individuals that mean to do you harm. And to that extent, you know, the question is asked, what can I do? Well, I told you on the front end of this episode to engage the culture. Just engage the people in your world. That's what they're doing, by the way. They're sending their equivalent of missionaries into the world to make converts on uh, everything from the environment to, to God. That's what they're doing. That's what we need to do. We have to get back to, to the basics. We have to fulfill the Great Commission. We're, we find ourselves here in large part because we haven't been fulfilling the Great Commission. So you need to get back to that. But I would also urge you to engage not just at the grassroots level, but to engage your congressmen, uh, engage your representatives. They need to represent you. And unfortunately, a very high number of them feel that they, they have no accountability whatsoever and they can do whatever they want. We still here in the United States... We still have a representative republic, and we need to make it very clear to our representatives that when they are not re representing the, the will of the people, but are instead reflecting the views of the World Economic Forum or some kind of radical leftist agenda, uh, we need to make it very clear there will be consequences for that. Reba McIntyre, of all people yesterday, I saw that she was you know, basically saying uh, drag shows for children are just simply not a big deal. Need to be consequences for that. She might be a very nice person. Don't buy her records. Bud Light with their crazy... Uh, we're talking NRB here, so maybe none of these people out here actually drink beer. I don't know. But if you do, if you're if you're Baptist, you're not supposed to be. But if you are, if we have any Anglican Episcopalian viewers here, don't drink that stuff. Go and get something else. Because here they are pushing this trans agenda. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you as I close this particular show, we serve an awesome God who said... Let there be light. And in the end, we win. In the end, we win. So do not lose heart. This has been the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?